This morning, we're going to be looking at our passage in Deuteronomy. I think it was page 152, if you want to turn back to it and have it open so you can follow along. And we're going to have three points this morning as we look at Deuteronomy, rejection, wilderness, and deeper faith. As I mentioned, Scott preached on this last week. If you missed his sermon, I encourage you to listen to it online. As I continue to reflect on it, God made it clear we're going to have a part two, and here we are. Our first point is rejection. Why do people reject God? Why do people reject the concept or any understanding of an omniscient God who created the world, who created every person, who exists eternally, and who is love? Why do people reject God? Well, as I've thought about this question, three primary reasons came to mind. The first reason is they don't understand or they can't intellectually grasp the idea of a spiritual realm, so they reject it. They can't understand a greater realm outside of what they see or experience that can't be proven, so they dismiss it. A second reason is that their life, their life is hard. They haven't received what they want. If there's a God who loves me, he would love me the way I want to be loved. He would give me what makes me happy and protect me from difficulty and pain. If there's a God who loves everyone, why doesn't he give me what I want all the time, protect me from failure all the time, and embarrassment and trouble all the time? Life is hard. They haven't received what they want. The third reason is they don't like God's people. They don't like the church because The church makes mistakes. God's people are flawed, so I reject God. This third reason is in full view this week as yet another terrible situation has been revealed in Pennsylvania, much like the movie Spotlight, where diabolical and predatory church leaders were not disciplined for their errors. They were protected, allowed to continue, and where children were victimized. If there's a God... I can't like or accept him because his church is defective, because his people are defective, because I don't understand it and I can't prove it, because he doesn't give me what I want, because I don't understand why life is hard. You all know people who adamantly reject God for these reasons. I think you all also know people who've believed in God, followed Jesus as Savior, but later have rejected God for reasons along these lines. At one time or another, every man or woman, every one of you, has rejected or continues to reject God for reasons along these lines. Some of you this morning are struggling with situations in your lives which are tempting you to reject God or causing you to reject God, to doubt the object of your faith due to your pain and trouble. We all reject God at one time or other in our lives because rejection of God is sin. It's the root of all sin. God is rejected because his provision is rejected, because his timing is rejected, because his plans are rejected. You get the idea. In a brief biblical history, Adam and Eve rejected God. They ate from the tree of life because they wanted more than God had given them. They rejected his provision. Adam and Sarah rejected God because his plan was taking too long. They took matters into their own hands with Hagar. You know that part of the story, perhaps. 
King David rejected God and sinned with Bathsheba because he wanted more than God had given him. He wanted more than God's law allowed him to have. On and on the list goes. No one is exempt from rejection of God. No one is exempt from sin. Except, of course, Jesus. Life is hard and difficult. And God has given commandments. He's given instructions to his people. He miraculously appeared to them, delivered them. But his commandments and instructions aren't easy to follow. Temptations abound in life. Failure is everywhere. Why can't life be easier? And the question ultimately is, why does God not love me enough to do whatever it is? Scott's sermon last week focused on the wilderness And that teaching caused me to continue to reflect and contemplate. And here we are. In Deuteronomy 8, Moses is recounting all that God's people endured after their deliverance from slavery as they walked into the wilderness. They were enslaved in Egypt, miraculously delivered by God from their bondage, and then entered into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, God fed them with bread from heaven. He fed them with water from improbable sources. Were they happy? They grumbled. It was not enough for them. They grumbled and they complained. Where's our promised land? Where's our paradise? What is this wilderness? Why is life difficult? Not what I want. Scott pointed out that the wilderness has a purpose. It's not simply an empty detour. The wilderness had a purpose to test the hearts of his people to see if they would trust and follow him. It was to humble them so that as they were humbled, they might trust and follow him and go deeper in faith. Ultimately, the wilderness was there to deepen their faith and understanding and trust in God so that he would be number one and they could give thanks for their provision from him, no matter what. Look at verse 3. And God humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna. Skipping a few words. To make you know that man does not live by bread alone. That word really hacked me off right there. That verse. He humbled you and let you hunger. Well, that's not nice. Why is he letting us hunger? Why wouldn't he fully satisfy? Why wouldn't he give them more choices for food? He let them hunger? Now read verse 5. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord God disciplines you. Well, that's not nice either. What child likes to be disciplined? Or what adult? Or what teenager? Who wants to be corrected for disobedience or told they cannot have what they want? The wilderness is not all roses. It's not all fun walking with God. We see here. It's not just easy life, but it is a purposeful existence. 
All that to prepare his people to enter into paradise, the promised land. To grow deeper in faith, to know their God, and then to receive paradise. And paradise, look at verses 7 through 10. This is pretty good. For the Lord, your God, is bringing you into a good land with brooks of water, fountains and springs, flowing out into the valleys. A land of wheat and barley, vines and fig trees. If that's not enough, also pomegranates. A land of olive trees and honey. A land which you will eat bread without scarcity. You will lack nothing. Whose stones are iron, out of hills you can dig copper. You shall eat and be full there. Wow. And even though they knew God was bringing them to that, they grumbled and complained. They rejected God's provision as not good enough. Manna was not good enough. Even quail was not good enough. Water was not good enough. God's timing stinks. When Moses went up the mountain to meet God, to receive God's instruction, his laws, the Israelites in their impatience, Rejected God, ordered Aaron, make us a God of gold, a God who won't make us wait and wonder, a God who will give us what we want. I can tell you, as I prepared this message, I felt conviction for my own rejection. As I spent time in God's word preparing, God gave me a picture that I think will be helpful for you to better understand what wilderness means for you. And for me, what it means to live in a life that's hard with God. So our first point was rejection. Our second point is wilderness. Think of God's people, the Israelites. There were really four stages for God's provision. They started in bondage and slavery because of sin. They went from bondage and slavery and they were delivered The second point, they were delivered from their slavery. They were delivered with an eye towards the promised land, but they didn't go there right away. They were delivered into wilderness to prepare them for the promised land. So slavery, deliverance, wilderness, and promised land. Now, think of sin and salvation. A person who's never acknowledged Jesus Christ as Lord, who's never received forgiveness in Jesus' name, is said to be where? Bondage, slavery, slavery to their sin. When that person receives the gift of salvation from God, receives the bread that came down from heaven, Jesus Christ, they are delivered from bondage. They receive salvation. So we have slavery and then deliverance and salvation. And then what do we expect when God delivers us? Well, we expect to be fixed, right? To be whole, to be cured, forever happy, satisfied, content, protected in God's promised land where we have pomegranates and all of that. But the promised land isn't the third point. Wilderness is next. God's pattern for his people is consistent in history with his pattern for you and me now. His people through faith in Jesus Christ. After salvation, God leads us through wilderness. We are delivered 
and then we walk in wilderness, but with a purpose, to test our hearts, to humble our pride, letting us hunger for more, ultimately more of him, disciplining us all to bring us to a greater depth of faith. And that's our final point. A greater depth of faith where, take a look at verse 6 of Deuteronomy 8. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. A greater depth of faith where day by day you learn to trust and keep his commandments, not following the world's ideas, not derailed by circumstance, where you'll be walking in his ways, not in your own ways, not in the ways of the culture. And it says, and you will fear him. And this isn't just a word that means to be afraid. The Hebrew word translated fear here is much more than being afraid. It's better translated revere. Not a word we use often. To revere God is to regard him as something to be worshipped. To regard someone or something with great awe and devotion. The wilderness leads us to that, to be able to revere, worship, submit to, and walk with God. The wilderness is where God influences every one of you, every man, every woman, if you put your faith in Jesus and become his people. Every man and woman who's received deliverance and salvation, God influences every man and woman not to leave us the same, but to bring change and transformation through his humbling, through his disciplining, disciplining so that you might walk in his ways, maturing into a greater depth of faith and a greater ability to follow, obey, and revere him. Or you can reject God when it gets difficult and there's no growth. There is no greater depth of faith if you reject, if you turn away. I know some of you are thinking, what about the fourth and final stage? But what about that promised land? Here we encounter the theological term, the already and the not yet. In salvation, through faith in Jesus Christ alone, one is already delivered from bondage of sin and death. Completely. Receiving eternal life, and yet at the same time, still lives in a broken body, in a broken world. Still struggling with sin and not yet receiving that eternal life until after death, that promised land. Not yet is the wilderness that we walk in. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are on the, ro on the road in the wilderness preparing for eternal life. And therein lies the struggle. God, I want that paradise now. Fix me. Fix my life. Give me what I want. I believe in you. Give me my paradise. And the so-called pr prosperity gospel declares, when you follow Jesus, you can receive all of his blessings and have your paradise now if you only believe in a certain way or believe enough or believe in the right way. And that's not biblical. That's not God's truth. That's deception. In Christ, you're delivered from the bondage of sin's penalty. Death and separation from God. You're delivered into a new 
and renewed relationship with God. You're delivered from slavery to sin, and yet you still struggle with sin. And in your new life in Christ, you receive amazing benefits. His presence renewed, His guidance, His Holy Spirit, His grace and mercy, His love and faithfulness, His people, the community of faith, His perfect provision to be with you in the midst of the wilderness. Jesus is the bread from heaven. He is who He said He is. He's enough. Though you will still hunger, though you will experience God's discipline, though you will daily stumble and fall and fail and need to ask his forgiveness, though hard things and tragedy will happen, his presence is always with you. His infilling Holy Spirit and his provision, he is enough. And as you walk in God's ways, following him in the midst of the wilderness... On your faith journey, you grow to a greater depth of faith if you persevere, if you don't reject. He will change you day by day to be more like him, more able to revere him and worship him, more able to be his witness to the world and to be ready for the eternal paradise that awaits you. But what about now? I know some of you are thinking. What about now? You may be weary or struggling. You may see bad people succeeding and prospering. You may be suffering. You may feel abandoned. You may be hurt. You may not be feeling God's love at all. Life is hard. And our spiritual enemy does not want any of you to mature, to grow to deeper levels of faith, to have a greater depth of faith. He wants you to reject God and not grow, to reject God, not experience his fruit. In your troubles, you'll be tempted to reject God, and it may even make more sense to reject him than to trust him. And it's at those times the best medicine is not to reject and do what seems logical, but to double down and pursue God more. Don't move away from God, but double down, perhaps with more daily time with him, perhaps with more time in the Psalms where we hear King David rail at God and trust in God over and over again. It may lead to a retreat, It's in those times also that you need a faith community around you to encourage you when you're that low, to hear your complaints about God, your anger at God. And more importantly, you need a community that will then direct you to tell those things to God and not try to fix. We see that in our gospel reading from John chapter 8, real clearly. Jesus had miraculously fed the 5,000. He had walked on water. The crowds following him were aware of these miraculous things. Then he announces, more than the manna from heaven, God's miraculous provision, I am the bread of life, the bread that came down from heaven. And how did they receive that announcement? They grumbled. We see that in verse 41. 
So the Jews grumbled about him. Verse 43, Jesus says, don't grumble among yourselves. They didn't even go to him. They grumbled. Then Jesus reaffirmed, I am the bread of life. I am the bread that came down from heaven. Verse 52 says, the Jews then disputed among themselves. If Jesus, the one that's miraculously performing these things, the one that's making the announcement, standing right there, why wouldn't they turn to him and say, can you clarify this, please? They grumbled among themselves. They disputed among themselves. They would not humble themselves before Jesus. Wouldn't it have been great? Unless you eat my flesh and blood, you have no life. Jesus, could you please explain that to us? No one asks that. They just say, this is hard. And then verse 66, it says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. This is a hard teaching. Don't follow their lead. Don't follow their example. Your enemy, your spiritual enemy, wants to keep you isolated, alone, grumbling among people, not doubling down and turning towards the Lord God. Asking him for his clarification. Your enemy wants to keep you in a posture of rejection of God. So if you're in a situation in your life where you're now angry at God, you don't understand his ways, you feel abandoned, or you're hungering for more, you're tired of pain and sorrow and hardship, and the emptiness and the frustration where you feel God has forgotten you, don't allow yourself to flatly reject him based on your feelings or emotion or logic. Don't grumble among yourselves, but go to him. Jesus is God's bread from heaven. He is the bread of life in whom, only in whom is found forgiveness of sin, deliverance to a new life of faith, where he and the Holy Spirit can be with you during the wilderness, the wilderness we all walk in, the not yet. And if you don't know where to start, if this is just more frustrating to you, thanks, Bill. If you're afraid of further rejection from God, if you don't know what to do next, you simply don't know what you believe anymore, here's, a, here's an idea. Give me a call, because that's what I get paid for. I'm serious. I'm here. I don't have all the answers, but I know who does. I'm paid to be your pastor. I'm paid to be a spiritual advisor. I'm paid to be a pastoral counselor. No judgment. Because I know God is faithful. And I know the wilderness is better than rejection. And I know that growing and maturing in faith, though it's hard, though life is hard, it's better than what the world has to offer in death and despair. If you're not in one of those seasons, if you're walking closely with God in the wilderness, pray for those who are struggling. When you hear of their struggle, remind them, model for them what it means to go to Jesus, the source, the bread from heaven. I want to close with Paul's words to the first century church in Ephesus, which we read earlier. Look carefully then how you walk, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. 
making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.